Welcome to the How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner, operator, and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast-paced environment. And now, here are your hosts, David Begin and Henry Lopez. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the How of Car Washing. This is your host, David Begin, and my guest today is Bevan Luna. She's an industrial hygienist, which I think is one of the coolest job titles in the world. I'm going to ask her about that in a little bit. With Colorado State University in Fort Collins, Colorado, uh, she works with the OSHA con- consultation program. And uh, Bevan has a master's degree in biology from Appalachian State University and a master's in science in environmental health there from Colorado State University. She's got eight years experience as an industrial hygienist and safety professional, OSHA consultation and private consultation team. Uh, She's been a safety and health consultant during that time, and she provides safety and health management services to a variety of industries, such as manufacturing, metal fabrication, grain elevators, metal recycling, machine shops, shooting ranges, and even car washes. So I'll tell you, we'll talk about our experience. We've had her come to our car washes last year, and I was really excited to be able to talk to her about that process. So lots of lots of tremendous industries. Um, she places a lot of emphasis on air monitoring, noise. You're going to have to pronounce that word for me, Bevan. What's the word? Dosimetry? Dosimetry, yes. Dosimetry. Okay, <laughs> you got good. it. Good, perfect. And uh, she does a lot of safety and health management system assessments. She served in the United States Peace Corps as an environmental volunteer in Mali, West Africa. She worked with various community groups, such as the Women Gardening Association, the Microfinance Group, which I think is cool, Oxfam, and the Village Pump Committee. Uh, She had five years experience as a volunteer research coordinator with the Department of Environmental Health at CSU, and she's worked extensively in the field of cook stoves research assessing indoor air quality and the health effects associated with exposure to indoor wood smoke in the various locations throughout Central America, including Nicaragua, Honduras, and Panama. So Bevan, thank you so much for joining us uh, on this particular podcast. It's going to be an interesting topic. You know, we get to talk about OSHA, but we don't have to talk to OSHA, which is great. Yeah, (laughs) well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's going to be great. How did you kind of, what, what, what was your journey into this particular position? What made you decide that you wanted to do this particular type of job? Um, It was a combination of experiences, I feel like. Uh, I was definitely interested in the science side of environmental health, Um, but then when I found out that I could work in occupational health and safety, it really piqued my interest because I definitely had some uh, sketchy jobs as a young person and, you know, going to paint houses and getting up on extension ladders with no training, um, two stories above the ground level and Um, getting into situations where, you know, electrical safety was an issue or, you know, working in kitchens where you have slippery floors and fryers with hot grease um, and and no sort of training whatsoever. So when I found out I could work in the field of occupational health, I thought that would be a pretty rewarding field to jump into. Yeah, good. And you're also a a certified safety professional. What's the process you have to go through to get, get a certification such as that? Um, you have to apply through the Board of Certified Safety Professionals, um, run out of Champaign, Illinois, um, and you have to have certain experience in the field managing health and safety management systems. Um, you apply, and if you get accepted, you take the first round of exams, which is the ASP, which is the um, Associate Safety Professional, and then if you pass that, then you qualify to go on to take the Certified Safety Professional um, exam. Yeah. 
Yeah, good, good. So your title is industrial hygienist. I think that's such a cool term. How does that kind of play into <laughs> this whole process? Um, well, it is under the umbrella of environmental health. So um, a lot of people don't really know what industrial hygienist means. A lot of people think that it means we have a really large toothbrush for really large industrial processes, you know, um, but it really looks at exposure science. So we're looking at any sort of exposures employees have to airborne contaminants, um, any sort of um, chemicals that could be absorbed through the skin, noise, um, any sort of exposures to hazardous um, physical hazards, things like that, um, is sort of how it falls under the categorization of industrial hygiene. Okay, good, good. Yeah, I, I love that term. So it was really cool. So we, we uh, reached out to you, I think, last spring, and we got on your waiting list to come down to our car washes in Colorado Springs and just kind of give us an assessment. Can you kind of just a little bit of idea what CSU the program that they provide? And if I use the term Colorado Springs Utilities, I, I apologize, but when I think of CSU, I'm always saying Colorado Springs Utilities. So if I accidentally say that, you know, please, please forgive me. But uh, this program that was set up at CSU, describe that whole program, what it does, how people, people can, can, you know, what, what services do you, do, do you provide? Okay, great. Yeah, we're a free service through Colorado State University, and it is similar to the agricultural extension programs that are run out of the university. Um, we're funded through the Department of Labor but we're actually housed at CSU, um, but we cover the whole state and we focus on small businesses and we provide health and safety consultation for these small businesses, mainly focusing on companies that can't really afford to hire a full-time safety manager. Right. So we come in to help identify gaps in the health and safety management systems uh, per the OSHA regulations. So basically companies can call us and say that they would like to get on our waiting list for an on-site consultation. And what we do is we come out to the job site and we perform a mock OSHA inspection. So we try to focus on the same areas that, that OSHA would focus on if they were to come out for a compliance visit. And that's an enforcement side visit. Um, our side, we are free of any sort of penalties or fines. We basically generate a report identifying all of the hazards and then the companies are required to reply to those hazards with what corrective actions they've taken. And this is in a specified time frame. So typically it takes us about 30 days to get a report out to the client. And then another 30 days, they'll have um, that time to get the corrective actions sent over. So all in all, it takes about two months from the initial visit until the, the case is closed. Right. We, we are a free service, which is really nice, and we encourage people to take advantage of that. It's, uh, it's really nice to have free air monitoring and noise monitoring and, and safety and health resources because that can be expensive if you look at private consultation groups. But with that, we do have quite a bit of a waiting period, as you experienced. Yeah. We, can't, we can't just come down at a week's notice. We definitely have at least a four- to six-month waiting period. Uh, but the nice thing is we can't answer any questions via email or telephone. So if there's a specific area that people are concerned about, they can always sign up for consultation, get on the waiting list, and then we can email and call back and forth to work on things that they want to sort of get in place before we get there for the on-site visit. Right. So how large is your team in Fort Collins? Uh, we have eight people. So we, uh, we have a really small team covering a pretty large state. So that does add to the, the waiting period. But all of us here are either industrial hygienists or safety professionals. Some of us are both. We do travel as a team. So it's nice to have 
two sets of eyes. I think when, when I came down to your facility, I just came by myself that day. Um, right. We couldn't make it work out with our schedules with another consultant that day, but um, most of the time we'll have two people come down and one person will focus more on electrical safety, lockout, tag out, um, machine guarding, um, any sort of emergency action planning. And then the, the health consultant on the other side looks at more of what I would do as far as noise monitoring, any exposure to hazardous chemicals, um, the use of personal protective equipment, first aid, medical services, things like that. Okay. Okay. So how, how many inspections do you, does your team do a year? Let's see. This last year, I believe we did, I think, uh, 150. Hold on one second. I can look real quick. Yeah. Let's yeah. See. And it, it was, it was probably half a day at one of our sites, if I remember correctly. Yeah, we typically try to um, spend as much time as we can. The, the nice thing about the program is that the client determines the scope of the survey. So if it's a really small facility and they want to just spend 45 minutes looking over programs and written documentation, we can do that. Or if it's a large, you know, 200,000 square foot facility, we can spend all day. Um, it really depends on the client and what their needs are. So it's nice that they sort of have the the, the way to set up the, the visit the way they want. No, that's um, great. Yeah, no, that, that's good. So what type of clients reach out to you? I know there's that trepidation when, you know, e even with me and my team is like, well, do we really want this? Do we not? You know, we're, we're going to be asking for or, you know, are we asking for trouble here? Are we, right. But what, what, what type of companies, I mean, what's the characteristics? I mean, for me, I wanted to be a good, good, good scout, first of all. I wanted to make sure, you know, hey, I, I right. want to see if we're really doing the right things. And, and I do have a very much, you know, I, I do have a safety mindset when it comes to making sure that our car washes are safe for the employees. And yeah. you know, that's something that's near and dear to my heart because I want to create a safe environment for my employees to work in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's one reason why I decided to reach out and, and wanted to see how we were doing. But is there any other characteristics? I mean, are most people willing or are most people forced to come see you? Uh, most people are willing. It's a voluntary program, which is really nice. Um, I would say 80% of our clients call us because they have had someone that they know go through an OSHA inspection and it really scares them. And they think, oh, I need to uh, reach out to this OSHA consultation group and see what we're missing in our company. A lot of companies will have a complaint from an employee filed with OSHA. And so then OSHA will recommend to them that they work with us. And so then they can call us and voluntarily set up for that. There are really um, few instances where clients will have an inspection from OSHA, they receive citations, and part of their stipulation is to work with us in order to correct their um, deficiencies. So that's definitely, you know, I would say 10 to 15% of our clients. But most of the time, it's companies who just want to do the right thing and keep their employees safe and get everyone home safe at the end of the day, which um, I think is, is an excellent way to go about running a business. And I think it makes people more um, efficient and productive because they, they take the time to implement those systems and programs as well. Yeah, yeah, you bet. So for people that are outside of Colorado, do you have peer groups like CSU and other parts of the country? Yeah, actually the OSHA consultation program is in each state and oftentimes it is housed at a university because we do base our services in education and training. Sometimes it's in the state workers compensation board. Um, I think Wyoming is in that situation, but every state has a consultation program that's free for small businesses. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's the same requirements for each state. I'm not sure. It might be different for 
like New York, some of the state-run state, uh, state plans, because Colorado is a federal OSHA state. We abide by all of the federal OSHA laws. Um, but then if okay. you look at, at the way that it's run in each particular state, some states like Tennessee or California, they'll have state-run plans where they go above and beyond the feds regulations, and then they implement their own state-run regulations. So are most state plans more stringent than the federal government standards? Yeah, because if you if the state decides that they would like to have a state-run plan, they have to at least meet the federal standards, and then they're released from that to run their own state um, regulations that do um, become a little bit more stringent than what the federal standards imply. Okay, okay. And then how, how many states are, do you know about how many states are, have their own plans? Um, that's a good question. I want to say maybe 14. That's a guess. I'd have to follow up with an answer for that later, but, um, I think it's around 14 states if I had to guess. No, that's good. Yeah. Just kind of give us a thumbnail of how many states are kind of moving out on their own. This episode of the How of Car Washing is sponsored by Focused Car Wash Solutions. Focused Car Wash Solutions is your complete guide to having a successful business in the car wash industry. Whether you are a new investor or a seasoned operator looking to make improvements, the experienced team at Focus can help you every step of the way. For more information, please go to focusedcarwash.com. So as far as trends with OSHA, what what have you seen in the last five to seven years in terms of how OSHA's kind of approach their job and their regulations? Are things getting more stringent? Is the enforcement getting more stringent? Are they becoming more stretched um, with resources? Um, from what I've noticed, it, it it really depends on the administration, um, the current administration, and that changes all of the funding. So um, I would say for the last five years or so, the funding has stayed pretty flat. So there hasn't really been a huge boost in OSHA funding. Um, I would say that they're focusing their efforts and emphasis programs. So for example, um, a region or a specific area office can implement a local emphasis program. Um, In Colorado right now, we have an emphasis program on beverage manufacturing facilities. So we've really been spending a lot of time in breweries. Um, Making a lot of craft beer here in Colorado. Yeah, exactly. And there are a lot of hazards associated with that as far as confined spaces, um, electrical okay. safety and wet use locations, things like that, which is really similar to water, uh, car washes as well. Right. Um, but I've just found that, that it's, you know, it depends on where the injuries and illnesses are occurring. Um, OSHA will implement these emphasis programs and then sort of focus in those areas to try to reduce those rates. Um, and then once those are usually closed, uh, they last around two to three years, the emphasis programs, and then uh, they sort of reanalyze what's happening as far as injury and illnesses based on industry codes, and then sort of refocus the efforts um, moving forward throughout those years. Okay, yeah, so that answered a question. Does, does OSHA typically start, foc- when they start seeing an injury rate start increasing in a certain industry, will they start focusing on that industry? So. The beverage industry, is there any other industries right now that, that is getting the attention of OSHA? Um, we have emphasis on nursing homes right now. Um, there are a lot of injuries with lifting residents, um, some workplace violence scenarios with um, employees being struck by residents, slips, trips, falls, strains, things like that. There are a number of different industries that 
like automotive services, they've had quite a few injuries in the last few years. And so there's been a focus in those areas. We've been seeing a lot of visits from, you know, um, smaller automotive shops that kind of fall under the radar of OSHA sometimes. Um, yeah, there are a number of, of emphasis areas throughout the state. In the past, we've definitely focused a lot on grain elevators. Um, there've been a lot of injuries in those and they kind of straddle the line between agricultural and general industry. So yeah, it really just depends on the year and if a specific industry is having a, a higher number of injury rates, then we'll sort of focus in on those areas. Yeah. It seems like car washing in certain parts of the country, I hear kind of rumors and people talking about sometimes, you know, you'll see a lot more ocean inspections start bubbling up in different parts of the country. And I think that might be if a car wash was, you know, was, was, you know, it was an accident or an employee reported something and, you know, there was a big inspection with a lot of violations that might've started putting, you know, a certain industry like car washing on the radar. Right. Yeah. And a, and a good way to keep track of that is to look at your industry code and um, find your uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics injury rates. I can definitely provide that to you after we're finished with the interview and, and you can sort of follow that and see what the rates are nationally and then compare your company's rates to the national average and kind of see where you stand. Okay. No, I think that, yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. So your relationship with OSHA, how do you, how would you describe the relationship you have? Cause it's two separate organizations, but you guys sort of work uh, as partners or side by side with each other. There's a lot of communication with the people at OSHA. Um, it's interesting how it's set up. We are a confidential service. So um, working with us does not mean that you have a red flag come up on your company name. OSHA doesn't know, uh, when I say OSHA, I mean OSHA compliance, the enforcement side. They don't know where we're working and they don't know the names of the companies that have called us, which is nice for the companies that call us because a lot of people are concerned that if they call us, then all of a sudden they're going to be on this list. That's not necessarily true. Uh, we are uh, funded by OSHA and the Department of Labor and we are audited by them um, every two years but we basically follow their emphasis programs and try to prioritize the companies that are in those industry codes that have emphasis programs on them. And then um, any other businesses that call us that need assistance after those ones that are at the top of the list, we just try to get to those as much as we can throughout the year to ensure that, you know, they're not falling through the cracks, but we really don't go out on visits with enforcement. They don't come out with us on visits. Um, it's, it's basically just, you know, we're funded by the same department that they're funded by and we're managed by the regional um, administrator, but we're in separate, you know, cities. We don't see each other on a daily basis. Um, we do have some overlapping with training sometimes. So we're all on the same page as far as how we would write the citations, but that's kind of the extent of it. Okay. Okay. So there, there's two words that strike the fear in the heart of any business owner. One's the IRS, the other one's OSHA. <laughs> yeah. And uh, is that, is that a valid fear? I mean, I, you know, I always say, Oh, the OSHA's coming or we're having an OSHA inspection. I, I think, I think the mindset of most small business owners is there's no way we can be hundred percent safety compliant. We, we could try as best we can. We can read all the safety manuals. We can put up every lockout tag out and placard that we could, but if OSHA wants to find something, they're going to find something and they can, they can fine us into bankruptcy. Is that a fair assessment or not? I, I think that um, it's valid for people to be concerned and scared if OSHA is going to show up because it does come with a lot of weight associated with, you know, the fines that could 
really put people out of business. Sometimes companies run into situations where they have repeat or willful violations and they have extremely high uh, penalties associated with that. I think um, to release some of that fear, um, it's good to think about being prepared and addressing any sort of health and safety related activities within your business um, by staying in contact with your employees and making sure that they understand the basics. And in order to help your employees understand the basics, you have to first start as a manager and understand them yourself. So prioritizing learning what they are in the first place, reaching out for local resources like um, OSHA consultation. Also, um, if people work with their workers' compensation carrier, I think that's a good way to go to start working on their health and safety activities. Um, it's a framework that you put into place and you have these basic elements that you have to address. And um, oftentimes, if companies have shown that they've put forth the effort to try to address some of those, they have a better experience with OSHA compliance, whether um, you know it's having an emergency action plan in place, whether it's you know, having the correct PPE available, making sure that you have ongoing training with your employees, any sort of effort you're putting into that, I think um, is a really great effort that's shown for compliance when they show up, as opposed to just saying, oh, we've never even talked about that to our employees. That's when people should be scared if they just don't even address it at all, you know. I think yep. starting somewhere, even if, you know, like you said, people are saying, we're not completely compliant, but at least we're trying, you know, is better than not trying at all. Yeah. And so I, I would guess like most people, they're looking for intent. Did you make an effort to create a safety program? Are you training your employees? Do you have your MSDS sheets handy? Do you, you know, do you have your lockout tag outs? You know, are you doing the, the monthly training? Those, if, if there's an intent there, I think there, is that like anyone else are sort of looking for you know, are these guys making an effort to do safety training? Do they typically, you know, are they typically, I'm not going to say easier on you, but are they going to be less lenient than if they go into a place that's got a lot of willful violations and a belligerent owner that, you know, wants to throw them out and whatnot? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, having a strong safety culture means that you have to have the the top management, top leadership buy into safety from the very beginning because if if it doesn't start there then the rest of the company is not going to follow suit um if the, if the owner doesn't believe that health and safety is a good thing and a strong safety culture is a good thing then people are not going to just do that on their own so i think it starts up top um and ensuring that all the employees understand that it's up to them to identify hazards and bring those hazards to the attention of their managers and improve that on a daily basis, I think that's really important information to relay to employees that they have a right to bring those, you know, hazardous areas, hazardous items up to the management to make sure that those things are being corrected and that they do have a safe work environment. Um, yeah. I think it's getting, getting employees involved in the process of identifying hazards and knowing that, um, you know, something is actually a hazard is a first, is a good first step. Um, employees that see hazards and just walk past them and then go complain about them and mumble under their breath and don't do anything about it. They haven't been trained well to know that they have a right to report that stuff to their managers and their managers are obligated to correct those hazards. Right. Right. You know, it's uh that whole idea of a safety culture that that's a real intriguing idea for me. And I've done a few videos 
about a safety culture and the importance of having an overall safety culture. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously that's got to be driven down from management, from the owners to the managers, and it's got to be reinforced. What, what are some good examples that you've seen uh, of safety culture? I, I, think of, I think if you've got a team that corrects each other for safety, to me, that's the best example of a safety culture. Do you have any other examples? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good place to start. Um, the companies that I've worked with that that have the most effective uh, safety and health management programs, they they have you know owners who walk out on the floor, and the owners know if they walk out on the floor and they're not wearing the appropriate you know safety glasses or steel-toed boots or reflective vest, they can be called out by their employees, and the employees have the freedom to say, "Hey, you know, you're violating a safety policy. You need to leave the floor now." And it, it's kind of a joke with those companies because they laugh about it and they say, yeah, it's really fun to call the owner out, but the owner really is behind it. And the owner realizes, yes, we all have to take part in this. Otherwise it's, it, you know, we're going to have a really weak safety culture. Um, I think a lot of companies that I've worked with that are successful are really good at um, having an open door policy with their employees and getting them involved in the process of planning their health and safety activities Um, evaluating their performance over the year, um, delegating a lot of those activities to employees. So it's not just always coming from the top down. It's, you know, ideas coming from the employees on how to improve their own health and safety, Um, ideas on how to improve the effectiveness of the training that's provided. Um, When that comes from the employees, they have a lot of ownership with that. And they really feel like the uh, leadership team trusts them. And so I think that really builds a really strong safety culture when everyone's involved at all levels, not just, you know, everything coming from the top down. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm such a big proponent of this. I don't know what switched my thinking in the last three or four years on this, but, you know, I'm just such a proponent of safety because I do not want my employees to get hurt. Right. You know, I don't want to get a phone call at night that somebody was hurt or killed. Yeah, at the car wash because it would just crush me. It would crush the business, but it would mm-hmm. crush me personally and and all the coworkers. And I just, you know, I feel this real moral obligation to make sure that the place that my employees work, you know, is safe. And and that that takes some effort and takes some work, but I think it's important. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, um, not that they, it's not that they don't want their employees to be safe. They just don't really. Think think about the fact that they are obligated to provide a workplace that's free of hazards to their employees. And I think that change of thinking um, could be really beneficial to a lot of business owners out there if they just realize, you know, that, that it is their responsibility, regardless of the training that people have received before they arrived at their doorstep. You know, people have multiple jobs throughout their lives, especially these days. Um, you can't just rely on what people know from jobs they've had prior to working for you, you have to take it upon yourself to ensure that they know what the hazards are and you can't just rely on their common sense to know that they're going to take care of themselves. You are obligated to, you know, take care of them and provide training and help them understand the risks associated with what they're doing and what they're handling in the workplace on a daily basis. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to this particular episode of the How of Car Washing. We'd love for you to leave a comment on Apple iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, And if you've got ideas for shows, go to our website and leave a note at www.thehowofcarwashing.com. Thanks a lot, and we'll catch you next time on The How of Car Washing. Thank you for listening to The How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com and leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. 
Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you next time on The How of Car Washing.